0: You know, maybe the next phase. Because I can tell you right now, like for me, I'm you know, of course, the the young one in the group. But nobody's freaking retiring. You're gonna have people kicking around hey. for another ten years. You know, expand that pie so I can freaking move up the darn ladder.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Bill's Bill's not even forty yet, are you, Bill?
0: <laughs> oh, I don't even want to tell you what my age is. Yeah, he's the, yeah. Oh.
1: wait,
2: he's he's pro COVID. Really, this is gonna thin the herd.
1: Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I'm Chris Lockhart. Today's episode is kind of interesting because uh, it didn't actually start as an episode. Basically, started with us in a pre-production meeting, and then I just started ranting about uh, some issues I was having with the school system in this COVID era. Uh, we quickly went from, you know, the, our issues with the school system to issues with child care to how are we going to return to work to all of the things that I know a lot of people are talking about uh, out there. Um, so we kind of turned it into an episode. Um, so this is Bill, myself, Phil, Carol, Shashi, and we're talking about mm-hmm. some of our issues that we have with COVID. Uh, hope you enjoy it. I think there's some practical advice in there. Uh, here we go.
3: So, Chris, you ready to put a nail in it and move on? Is that what I'm reading?
1: Um, I'm I'm over this whole thing. I think it, it could have everything could have been done so much smarter, um, and not in an authoritarian way. Um, but that depends on a smart, informed population, which we don't have. So.
3: Yeah, the smart and informed government. We don't have that either, so...
1: Well, a simple thing, like, if you're going to go out, just stay away from people. Like, how hard...
4: Exactly,
1: f- yeah. F- why Why did we have to shut off the modern era in order to make people, you know... It's the same It's the same as with uh, influenza. I mean, if you're going to go out and be around people during flu season, you know, and someone's walking beside you and they've got snot hanging all over the place and they're sneezing in your face, I mean... I don't know. I, I think common sense would have helped a lot more than destroying everything that we've been building for the past. I, since think, the I think they
4: ended up doing the, this whole lockdown thing to get a control because they were not prepared for this. The so first step is, as Carol said, because of how the government was lack of preparedness and taking it seriously to bring it back in control. But now I think I agree with you, Chris. Like probably they could have, if people behave themselves the way they are supposed to, we could have been out of this little sooner. I, mean, people are not. I was, I was, I was in my backyard right now with my daughter and kind of counting people far from people like out of 14 people, seven people had masks, seven did not have masks. It's like a yeah, 50% and mask as basic as that. And you're walking in New on York. The yeah, no, no, I'm not in New York. I'm in New Jersey. I'm like in, sorry, New Jersey. Oh. Oh. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. And it's a hot spot from here. They're the same.
1: Yeah, I mean, here <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's, the, it's a, one big blob of uh, coronavirus on the map.
4: Yeah, so people are like even not keeping six feet. See, sometimes when my wife goes for grocery shopping, you know, she complains of the people like you know bumping into each other. And when you give them the stare that stay away, then they take it personally. Like this is yeah. this is insane. So I agree with you. Part of it is population. Um, yeah. I was telling my daughter yesterday, we are not human beings. We are human bombs right now. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's really difficult to prove a negative, right? How many people would have died if we didn't do the lockdown, right? Yeah, it's
3: a soft number.
1: Yeah, it's hard to tell. It's probably higher. I don't know, but I, I just, I, you know, looking back hindsight 2020, I think things could have been done differently. I think for me, what this has demonstrated is how utterly, completely, totally f- useless the public school system is. Because oh, my, yes. I have learned more at home in the past few weeks Than they ever could have learned in that in the school. I mean, talk about lowest common denominator teaching, right? Incredible, incredible. (laughs) Here's here's the thing that really blows my mind. There are people advocating, and I think this is probably what's going to happen. We're just going to go back to the way it was before. No lesson learned. Nothing. Zero.
4: (laughs) That's what happened in 2008. That's what happens, right? So no, you are right. I'm surprised you are figuring that thing out around lowest common denominator. I mean, I am very very close. Uh, very deeply in, ingrained into my daughter's education, so I'm so frustrated with the kind of and they are still doing fractions in the class. They are in sixth grade, so she like gets you know she I'm telling you lightly, but she what she does is she she doesn't like the, she shuts off the teacher and she's in virtual yeah like you know and goes off and then does something else because she thinks that why are we repeating the same thing like ten thousand times. Yep. And to your point, school system is catering to lowest common denominator and everybody else is getting hampered. And there is zero problem solving, Chris. Uh-huh. They do, in maths, they don't do any problems. They All they do in mechanical maths, you know, all computational stuff, no problem solving at all.
1: Phil, what's your experience? Are you like, deeply involved with the, the Google Meet and the Hangout and all that stuff?
2: It's a shit show. Um, From my own perspective right having trying to sit in my kids classes the whole and in fact i just got off the phone with one of the not the teacher but someone who leads the teachers i forget what they call it. she's not a counselor but she's develops programs for and i was like i was expressing not my frustrations but i'm saying as a parent how do i intervene here to make sure that we don't end up next year being way behind and of course she said everybody's going to be way behind but she also said you know next year is not going to look the same you know basically they'll bring kids in for you know they'll come into school for a day a week or maybe two days a week depending on what's going on when they go to the e-learning platform and what they do with them in the classroom will be completely different because they'll be giving them a week's worth of work at a time working them through the trouble and then letting them go home and sort of
3: socially isolate or whatever So, is childcare supposed to work around that? Jesus.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean,
2: Uh, well, I mean, if you're depending on the school for food and all the rest, and or as you said, you know, just having a place to park them. Yeah, no, your
3: life will be different when we go back. Don't you think that's going to be the norm, though? At some point, I mean, we were talking about that this morning. They can't shut down the economy again, or we'll just, I mean, we'll cease to exist. And so you sit here going, we have to get used to the idea that there's going to be infections. And there's going to be people who are going to get really sick, and there's going to be people who get a little bit sick, and there's people who are going to walk around with it. And some are have masks, and some won't, and... I think yeah. we have to accept that that's part of the new norm. At least it is in, in my opinion. It's not. I, I don't think it's a great answer, but I don't think there is a good answer.
2: I think... Uh, well, I, we don't have the political will to take on the hard stuff. That's well, kind that's of what's happening.
1: I think in in societies that are used to, you know, um, working together in a harmonious fashion, whether it's a community-based um, society like, like a Chinese uh, society or some of the Asian countries, but... Or, or like the Scandinavian model I was talking about earlier, you, in those situations, I, I can see that some of these things would work. In our scenario, where, I don't know, what is it, two-thirds of the population spends more time watching the Kardashians than any news program, right? <laughs> I, I find it extremely unlikely, right, that, that that's going to happen. It yeah. has nothing to do. Well, actually,
2: Well, I think part. it does. Right? right? It is part of the conversation. But, uh, you know... Uh, I think at a large, you're seeing a populace that's kind of been led to the places that the larger economic forces has wanted them to go. You know, educa- You know, our educational system is a response to the Industrial Revolution, right? Basically, let's teach them these things because what we're building is cogs to go in our machine. And if they fit in the machine, that's great. And if they don't, let's just spit them out. Let's discard them because we'll have plenty of cogs. And I think it has just led to us with a whole bunch of bad ideas and this just doesn't we don't respond well to it and it's it's not working and there's not a good clear path to it because it uh we've industrialized it it's instant it's more than institutionalized right we have calcified around instructor-led training mm. um, and to the point that we believe in it so much to carol's point we've wrapped childcare. I mean, basically, this is a place to park your kids during the day. We've wrapped feeding them. Some significant portion of the kids are getting their food from, I mean, their main yes. meals of the day from mm-hmm. school, right? Mm-hmm. And when something like that breaks, we don't blame ourselves. We blame the school.
1: I mean, well, we've, we don't blame ourselves for buying into the systems. Yeah, we, I mean, it, it gets a little sociopolitical, right? But I mean, this this idea that we've We've created a system where the the education system, in this case, in this country, specifically the government,
3: is parenting our children. Like, right. Oh, we're out, we've outsourced parenting. Unbelievable. Yeah. And it's mob control in the classrooms.
1: Yeah, you yeah. kind of knew that. You kind of yeah. sort of, well, yeah, whatever. But, you know, I got to work. And this, I think this crisis has highlighted for me, is, it put in a, a spotlight on how much that's going on and actually how detrimental it really is. And I just see it. I'm just using it through the lens, no politics or anything else. I'm using it through the lens of the school uh, experience through through home. My kids are just so much more advanced. Having, having had dedicated time with someone that gives a shit, and I know a lot
3: of teachers do, but they also have 30 other kids that they got to... Right um yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a system that's broken, it's not necessarily the teachers right there's some burnouts in there, but. It's a broken system. Some (laughs) Can you imagine? I'm sitting here picturing, you know, I'm blessed in that I'm I'm working with adults and I I know what they care about and I get to focus on that. But I can't even imagine trying to be a seventh grade teacher where cell phones are the norm and now they're at home and you're trying to engage them in something they didn't want to learn in the first place. You know, because the education isn't pointed at, here's what you need to, here's some skills that you can use to think, here's some skills you can use to reason, that are put into a Game Boy, right? You can get those from that.
4: Go ahead. You can can compare it to two things. One is right now the education system is more like assembly line, Mm -hmm. right? So it's most like industrialized assembly line kind of, you have one teacher taking one grade, and then it's like if quality of couple of teachers in between, either in the elementary school or middle school or high school is bad, then end quality of your product is a disaster. Whereas you make a handmade product, you know, um, the Hermes of the world who is creating handmade hand stitch, of course, the quality of that is going to be greater. So I see that as assembly line um, and say this mass volume production versus handmade products. That's the difference for me.
3: Absolutely. And now it's a matter of economic status. How do you get into that so that you can have the handmade product and who does it for them? And, yeah, I mean, you've got to look at public policies and who's, and no, because nobody wants to pay for
4: it. I think, Chris, you mentioned a while ago that, you know, the whole system is around um, what, what is a university? University provides you a platform where, it's, you know, demand meets supply. If somebody can disrupt that, then everything else will be secondary. Well, uh, now,
1: I, I actually argued uh, a little bit of the opposite. That opposite the of that, yes. university system is, is totally disconnected from demand in the economy. Yep. And they're just churning the shit out, right? Mm. And what you end up with are, you know, 40 million MBA students and, you know, $200,000 in debt. Right, and 100,000 <laughs> MBA jobs. Uh-huh. It's like not everyone can go to college. Not everyone can go to college. There aren't enough college jobs for every
3: single person to have a degree. It's crazy. Yeah. But I don't, and not everybody should be in college. There are people who should be driven towards the, the, the trades where they would make so much more money and probably be happier. But yeah. it's the everybody has to have a full scale. This is the education they have to have. And that's just crazy. Well, Where are know, the apprenticeships? This goes
1: to, yeah, and I mean, that's a whole topic unto itself, Shashi, which you brought up, but this goes to the idea that we're really talking about here, which is, you know, everything that we've been doing, which we just assumed was the way it had to be done, right? We encountered a disruption with COVID. And now the question is, does anything change? What, what does go forward look like? Does anyone learn anything from this, or do we just go back to the way it was? And if you're one of those people that you had your job disrupted, because of this, yeah. lost your job, or your company's gone under, or you discovered you could make more on unemployment than you did as a waitress, or whatever the case may be. Like, what, what does that look like in a go-forward Fashion.
3: Yeah, but the next one is so damn scary, Chris. It's scarier than any, diver, any virus because I've had two calls today, this week from massive clients who are about to go into significant layoffs and they're asking, do I know anybody? How do I hook them up? Where can, you know, is there anybody in our area that's hiring? And, and Phil and I have had this conversation about tech after five trying because a lot of these folks are in the technical or engineering fields. But, you know, the, I think the storm that's coming is, is so much bigger than the virus because the virus was terrifying in its own unknowns. So now what are we doing? How are we helping clients to retool, re- reset? And how are we helping all this fear that's going on in mass quantity? And we're just at the beginning. I mean, we're, we're just at the, at the very beginning of how, of how many people are about to be laid off. As far as I me- can see.
4: And Carol, I think laying off, that's one argument I have that laying off people is a knee jerk reaction, which will come back and bite them. Are they taking away cost, which is anyway going to come back in a couple of months?
3: It's aviation. uh, It's aviation. I mean, you know, that's a hard argument to have. What else can you cut?
4: Yeah.
3: And, you know... Nobody's flying. Nobody's buying planes. I mean, it, it, it's just backed up. Yeah, that's, so that's just that's one right. of them. And both of them are in manufacturing in some version. And nobody's buying. So so I hear you for
1: sure. But so what are some of those things, Carol, when you're talking to clients? You know, what what are you? And I know you're sort of more in the executive communication side of the house. But, you know, how are you helping them think through these things when you're talking to them?
3: Well, um, I'm talking to—I'll uh, be—you know—straightforward. The conversations around layoffs. I'm talking more to the people who are doing the dirty work and swinging the axe than I am to the people who are making the decisions about it. So I'm not at the, these are companies that are a level that I'm not in the C-suite with at this point. They're not asking me how I feel. What I'm trying to do is—is is help the people who are swinging the axe to uh, talk to people about redesigning their expectations because if you've been in aviation for the past 20 years and your dad was in aviation and your granddad was in aviation, the bottom line is you need to figure out how to re-skill, how to re-represent yourself in a different way. What do your skills really come down to? Because you can't use the word aviation anymore because there's nobody in that industry hiring. So, now how are you reskilling and how are you avoiding this dip where you, you know, back in the day, if you got laid off and in a different scenario, you might have had a six month, 12 month window when you could kind of regroup, get through the grief, whatever there might be going on. Today, you can't. Today, it's to have your resume ready. If you've been furloughed, have your resume ready. Be out there meeting recruiters, talking about what you need to do to upskill. Possibly, In the case of executives, they need to go out, and I've had this conversation too with Phil, every executive needs to understand Zoom, Teams, whatever platform their company is working on or their recruiter is working on, they need to upskill into being really solid online leaders because that's who's going to win this. Now, the industry that you're in is also going to drive who wins. And obviously, tech is going to win this, this first battle because everybody's talking about data and security. And I think those are the industries to be in. But for the folks like, I mean, we had a, Hertz did an 80% layoff. You know, where are they going in the travel and hospitality industry? They're not. So they're going to have um. to take a look at their skills and decide where they can fit. That is a, the next natural fit. And some of them are going to need more education probably not university, Zoom, right? Or or YouTube, or they're gonna have to figure out where they fit in that other world. But the, you know, it's funny, I was just
0: listening to NPR today and they're talking about that exact same thing. So the uh, was the California um, education system's changing a lot of what they're doing. They're actually taking a lot of uh, conscious step forward to um, looking at online education. But what's interesting is when you talk to them, it was less about what happened with COVID and more is using this as an opportunity to help underprivileged individuals that don't traditionally get opportunities to get an education, get an education. So for example, they're talking about getting rid of the ACTs and SATs, because yes, while it is a great metric to figure out who can, how to compare people, um, the economic reality is, is a lot of people that do really well have the capabilities of doing test prep and test study. And as we know, you drive that out to uh, different economies, you have different folks that are adversely affected. Um, What I think is interesting about that whole concept, stepping back from just that argument in general, is changing the way we are looking and going forward. I don't think, I think once this let's say passes i don't think anything's going to pass my personal perspective it's just going to become more common um we you're going to have people who are now starting to innovate in different areas starting to look at um, online education because there are some feedback from people who are paying like thirty thousand dollars a year like i'm gonna to go to a community college pay you know five hundred dollars a credit hour as opposed to two thousand credit hour because why pay two thousand i'm just going to be online so you're going to can change consumer preferences but also um In that aspect. uh, But I think you're going to start to see the innovation. Um, I don't think things will come to fruition in 18 months. I think it's going to be a five year cycle. um, But you'll start seeing changes in education. Um, But I'd almost say and why I believe the inertia is going to be there is look at the medical industry. um, And look at I compare the education industry to medical industry and how things are regulated and why they move so slow. Um, is because I believe you have a lot of entrenched interests in place that, um, keep that inertia, keep a level of inertia there that wouldn't necessarily be there because of safety or throw your buzzword out that makes people feel like it's risky to do whatever they're doing or to make change. That's what they're, that's
1: what they're, um. Uh, promulgating, promulgating. Is that I don't want this right word. Well, so, um, but, so, but so, what you're talking about? Back to Phil's question: Like, does it matter if Chris Lockhart doesn't want to talk about COVID anymore? It still exists, right? And it still impacts everything. And I think that's you know, so I mean, that really is but, the question on the table, right? So, like, what are you going to do differently, or can you do differently, uh, given this? To if you're me, right, and you want to move on, right? <laughs> I'm done with yeah. this. Let me move on what do I do? How do I do it? Can I do it? Is it even possible? I don't know. I go, I go back to living. Like I I go back to my own inertia
0: and I figure out how my own inertia is upset. Like what can I, what can I not do now, that I could have done before. Um, to a large degree, I can do everything I could do before. I I except get a haircut right now because it's doing backpacked, Um, and maybe in the next couple of months eat some meat because you know, the meat, meat processing, the supply chain is going down, but has it really changed anything I'm doing? No, I'm in Florida. I'm going back to the beach this weekend um yes you have six feet apart but when's the last time you were at a beach that you had groups of people closer than six feet um you don't really like sit on top of each other
2: <laughs> josh he's calling bs josh calling bs I like, we can't
0: you
4: can't
1: hear him can't hear oh, you buddy what happened
4: you're on mute I'm that? Saying I'm, sorry uh, on jersey beach it's less than six feet Oh uh, God! Yeah,
3: Hilton Head is practically on top of each other in a way they never have been. By the way, Jersey's always been like that, but Hilton Head hasn't, and it's crazy. It's like people just got out of jail and they've gone bananas, and now they're gonna, you know, it's it's, yeah. it's it has gone so far the other way. Mm-hmm. Right, at so least so from, the right uh, way for I'm, me.
4: So for me, so so there now. is a central central government uh, central government lockdown. Then you have state government lockdown. And then you have an individual lockdown. So my individual lockdown equal to government lockdown plus one month. Let mm-hmm. people be crazy, let people vent it out for another one month, and then I'm going to start going out and probably try to be a lot more normal. That way is, yeah. you know, let them I mean, because people are going crazy right now. Like they
1: yeah. are, so you're imposing your own lockdown. The shots. Yes,
4: are. one one month extra. Let people go through whatever they need to, whatever they want to. Let them vent it out.
1: So
0: that's the in. worst situation.
4: Right now, it's safe to go out because people, most of it, like at least 50% of the people are following and uh, nobody's staying
1: well, out. Area, in your area, maybe.
4: Yeah.
3: I think everybody that wants to go out should go out. And if they get sick, that that's their, their risk to take. I, I'm okay with that. Let them all go out. You know, if every last Trump voter <laughs> wants to go out, I'm okay with that, you know, because it's all an experiment. We don't know. We've got statistics coming from every possible direction, and any good data point can be turned any direction you want it to be. So I, I just think you go do what you want to do, and and we'll see what happens. And I understand there's high risk folk out there, and I think they should take less risk.
4: Well, I, I would say well, that's it. an interesting, a
2: very libertarian point of view, and I understand mm-hmm. that. But what happens when the dead and the sick overwhelm the hospital system?
4: Yes, then yeah. the normal people yeah. can't go. Normal people can't go. Like For example, I have this crown which I need to fit in and I haven't been to the doctor for two months, so I have an, I'm on a temporary crown. So it's not urgent, but somebody has regular checkup and regular dialysis or anything of that sort. If you are clogging the medical system,
3: well, there the was country. a cartoon that said, then we just, you know, if you want to be out, if you're going to protest and you want to be out and run around spinning on people, then you shouldn't get medical care. You should simply get a nice little tattoo on your forehead that says, I made this choice and you can't get in. You're right. I don't know how to distinguish that. Yeah. I don't have an answer for that, but I still think that there has to be some level of freedom in this choice because we don't understand really what we're asking people to do yeah. from an economic perspective and from any other social, social perspective. We
4: are taking, so far we have been taking a lot more Conservative approach, but I think even in New York, when I honestly speaking, when I hear um, the mayors speak, they are talking about opening. They are talking about you know there is less about COVID cry as compared to how they want to open it. And everybody eventually is opening up, and they will see how it goes for next month or two months, and then exactly we'll see where it goes.
0: I mean, at the end of the day, this was this was the the epitome of a black swan event. This is not our perception for this to happen. People say they could have predicted it. Yes and no. Everybody says they could predict it. I'm just it calling is? bullshit on that.
2: That is nonsense. It is nothing like a black yes. swan event. Everyone saw it coming. Nobody wanted to do anything about it. That is what happened. Yes, this has been predicted. We had movies about it. Come yeah. on, Bill. You know, We cannot claim that we were too <laughs> stupid to see this coming. I we can claim we were too stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we can I, always concept, claim
0: that. <laughs> the concept of black <laughs> swan has nothing to with too stupid is the perspective. And there's a lot of people who talked about before the uh, meltdown, the 2008 meltdown happened. So when people talk about probabilities and future and predicting the future, the first thing about predictions are predictions are always wrong. And so we have people talking about this for years as opposed to something that could possibly happen. So if there's a probability something will happen, like there always is, there's a probability it can happen. So at the so end of the day, we yeah, have somebody sitting here saying this is exactly what could happen when and whatnot. I mean, this is not a Simpsons thing. Um, mm-hmm. I know the Simpsons predicted it. I mean, it seems... That- Hell of a prediction. Yes. It's a...
4: See, one yeah. is the financial disaster. 2008 was a financial disaster. And it's relatively to me, relatively easier to come back from okay. that versus the health disaster we are in now. Because the consumer behavior ridiculously changes. So now, consumer behavior is going to change for good. For a long period of time, there's a lot of opportunity.
2: Can, I just, can I just one other piece, by the way? I just think it's an interesting observation to your specific point, Bill. I was in a call last week with a guy who does who gave out who sold business continuity insurance. He was an insurance salesman person, salesman, whatever. And he sold insurance. He sold business continuity insurance. And some, And I asked, well, what are you doing? And he said, I'm explaining to everybody why business continuity insurance doesn't cover pandemics, because it's clearly stated in the insurance. It does not cover pandemics. Mm-hmm. So if you said we couldn't see this coming, why did we write that into the insurance to begin with?
0: Somebody decided they didn't want a pandemic. We, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a pandemic this big. who who said we're specifically I, going to we're specifically going to have this type of coronavirus that starts in China or wherever it started. Of debate and how it spreads, in this yes, yeah, so the biggest things you have these things are happen every couple of years. We get birds, we get SARS, but who did, who predict? You know, so I, I go back when people are like, "Oh, I predicted." When it comes true, then they saw the future. No, because how about many? How many people try to predict the future and they're absolutely wrong? You don't hear about them. I know I mean, something it. happens so, to happen. So, but you
4: react based on the. You react based on uh, the implications of the prediction, like implication yeah. of whatever happened in the financial crisis was relatively manageable, but implications of a pandemic spreading this much is ridiculous so it's government's duty to uh, we don't support. we don't have we, we
0: don't have a hind, we don't have a hindsight yet to say whether well, this is worse or better or worse than what All happened right. in 2008
4: we're something don't know. happening we'll, we'll, we'll wait and watch it definitely yeah, is yeah, I, I think wait and watch
1: there is this so somebody, there is this idea right like people like bill gates and stuff like that right he had a famous quote about a pandemic in 2015 i think i think I think, yeah, absolutely, people were predicting pandemics were possible and likely and going to happen at some point. But I don't know that anyone, I haven't seen anyone really predicting the level of disruption, supply chain, to the society, to, I mean, we're we're one short step away from political socio-chaos, right? I mean, I don't think anyone really predicted that that would happen in a developed economy like this country. You may well be right. Let me just say,
2: you know, two years ago, I went back and I read uh, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. Mm. And her whole thing was, she said society, she said what inspired her to write the book was that society was this thin veneer and people didn't realize how little it would take to completely disrupt and allow something else to emerge. And that was the point of her writing the book. She was afraid of that because she had traveled enough to say, oh, this causes me great concern. I, I understand, Chris. and I mean, I just want to say, I don't want to let everybody off the hook. I get it. If our, at your pay grade, my pay grade, us, right? I don't, we don't, that's not the thing we spend a lot of time thinking about, but there are sophisticated systems thinkers and academics who had the opportunity and actually said, I think this could happen and it could be very disruptive exacting, I get they don't get the exact bit, but someone saw that bit. And my only point, the only reason I take such umbrage, I feel like the rule that I saw Bill break is I felt like this is this was in fact predictable and some people said you know what we don't have the political will to build a defense against it so we're just not going to do that right now we're going to pretend it couldn't happen and we'll just take our lumps as we go yeah. i mean heck i've done that in my business right there are things i haven't there are there are risks i have not insured my ent- enterprise against saying that if i take the beating i'll take the beating and i'll just have to figure it out i'm not willing to build a defense against it at this moment That was my point, by the way, but that's, I just don't want to let people off the hook.
1: So, all right, so let's pivot away from this for just a second, right? So given all of that, and given what Carol was talking about, about how she was um, advising her clients on on how to handle these things, with all of that, how do you handle coming out of this and moving forward? I mean, Shashi, what do you see in consulting? By the way, I love your virtual background. I think that's fantastic.
3: Yes, thank you. Ah, well done. I didn't (laughs) know it was virtual. Well done. I
4: don't think it uh, is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, so see, um, the part of business which I'm running, so that we definitely will see um, number one, more layoffs coming or salary cuts or furloughs happening, but that will be temporary because consulting is people's business. Now, it will not be easy for organizations or the end clients to you know hire people back in a very short time frame, but then they will be in restructuring and turnaround situation. Restructuring around, you know, do they have enough cash to run their business? That is the first one. And that's where they will go into cost-cutting mode and letting people go and then shutting down or divesting part of the business. So there will be a section of people who will be in high demand, people who are in the transaction business, people who are in the restructuring and turnaround type of business in a short period of time. But um, in the long run, again, you know, People would be required, consultants would be required to help organizations further grow. There will be a short dip for the next three to six months. I'm seeing a slowdown in our part of the business right now. People are in the wait and watch mode. Uh, But people need to, you know, will be required. They need to develop more skills around digital and technology. That's number one. Um, And second thing is they need to uh, be more disciplined to work in a virtual environment where they don't have to travel, they don't have to. Know, interact with clients because we are used to, we uh, feed off from client reaction being there in person. Uh, that is going to happen less and less over the next year or so. It's probably as good for the clients. Reason being, uh, less travel cost. Like straight away, you say 15 to 20% of your project cost. Um, some consultant may not we- like it. And you lower
3: the risk, too, right? Because you're inviting somebody in who supposedly is out there business hopping. The last thing in the world is you want them coming in and infecting your group. So I think we've been uh, the groups that I've talked to, of consultants have basically said we're not expecting to be on a plane for the rest of 2020. It might happen, but we don't yep. see it immediately. So many, many
4: companies, many companies are saying they are uh, you know, at least 50 percent or they will completely go virtual. The big companies are saying, in next year or two. But mm-hmm. uh, I would recommend all the consultants right now. To take this as an opportunity to reskill themselves, retool themselves over the next couple of months, um, and you know, become more relevant for future demand. Because to you know, Bill, you mentioned it. I think there will be huge disruptions um, in the field of education. Huge disruptions in the field wherever the consumer interactions will. Con- healthcare, number one. Yes, anywhere where there is a consumer interaction, uh, that needs to be reimagined, which will require different type of skill sets. So just be prepared for the demand. People have to take a dip for a few months, but there will be demand going forward. When, whether it's a V V-shaped curve, yeah. whether it's a U-shaped, like hundred thousand different consulting curves, we can talk about. Uh, but it's it's going to it's going to bounce back. So be ready for it.
1: Your advice is to upskill. Is that it?
4: Upskill, upskill, and be ready for what's going to come. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And look at different industries and how you can impact them. I absolutely with you, Sashi. I, I'm hearing, you know, retailers are just, they're on their ears, right? I got, a, a, I got an email from Macy saying, we're open, we're open, we're open. And I thought, you know, that isn't really addressing the problem here, but I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to save the brick and mortar. And I think in the end, brick and mortar is, in, is going to really shift as to what we're looking at and how, which is also means that entertainment is going to be heavily impacted You know, I mean, look at everybody that's in on that. And then there's the whole Zoom piece where uh, Apple Docs just came out. You know, what are you doing and how are you securing it? I think that that's going to have just unbelievable ramifications. Zoom is agreed across the board that it is the best thing. And my biggest client, the one with 200,000 global employees, won't touch it because they're terrified of the security. So, Anybody that can get in this and establish and prove their security is going to have a huge leg up in this reimagined world we're heading into. Yep. And you
4: can do all that from home. Uh, that's that's the whole part. So,
1: Phil is upskilling enough. Phil? Yeah. Oh, Phil. I thought
2: you said Sorry. Bill. Did you that's say Phil or Bill? Yeah. I,
1: said, I like said
2: Phil. Yeah.
0: It's like um, repeat. I don't
2: think um, Phil. I'm not even sure it's necessary. Uh, you know, in my bit, I I think that it's a valuable thing in that moment if you have that opportunity, right? If you're saying, "Look, I'm I'm well padded. I don't need this work at the moment." There are things that I felt like are shortages, gaps in my own skill set from where I want to be. I applaud that, right? Now, to Carol's point, if I am not, if I If I have the technical skills, but not the communication skills in order to communicate with the people that I want to work for, I need to solve that problem right away, right? That is urgent. Red flag, red alert. Let's do something about that right now. Get good at it. However, you need to get good at it. I suggest you practice. Don't read about it. Practice it. Somehow, low stakes poker games, get in on them and figure that out, right? That's what I've been doing. Um, I think those bits you got to do. But I think right now, let's imagine if you were in that spot and you said, I'm, I've been furloughed or for whatever reason, I am out of work and I got to find the thing that's next. I think I'm, right now my, my goal is to go find the bright spots in the economy at this moment and figure out who needs my help right now. Because that's an opportunity to sort of latch in and figure out that is. And again, if you are latching in to where demand is current, and we know, we talk to recruiters all the time, right? Certain parts of the economy have slowed or stopped. There are others that are just rolling right along. But if you can find yourself in that spot, you might find that the, what you imagine to be your technical skill gap may be different than what you thought. Right. And in that case, you might want to use those guys as the measuring stick for what you learn next, as opposed to where you came from. Uh, I think there's a risk that we all spend our time trying to fight the last war. Uh, I, you know, my uh, advice is always stay in the action, go to where the action is, help the people who need your help now, if that's what you need to do, and, and learn what you need to learn to get that job done. That's my piece on that and it's a little bit of a different shift from shashi but i i think it's just focusing he said upskill i'm saying upskill for where the work is right. and certainly upskill to what carol said if you can't communicate if you aren't comfortable getting on a zoom call if you can't make all of this happen you need to figure that out because uh, otherwise you're just gonna let I'm, I'm i will look out to you i will say i need your help and you can't respond and i'll go nah, i don't think that's the cat for me let me find someone who can
3: Yeah, you're not cutting edge enough, and if you can't be cutting edge enough, then you become obsolete, and that's too easy to do, especially if you're 50 years old. It's too hey, easy to be obsolete. Hey, hey, I, I'm, hey. I, 50 is a, you know, that was back then. So I'm okay saying that I can throw that stone, but truly I'm watching people 45, 50, and 45 is is the youngest, but you know, what are you doing? I've got a wonderful speaker. This guy is a leader that people would take a bullet for, and he's been with his company for 30 years now, and he's in that age bracket that's going to be really hard to, re, to repurpose. And he's very, very good at what he does. And so we're hoping to get him out there and help, And hopefully there are leaders who are listening and recruiters who are listening who realize that just because you're good at one industry doesn't mean that those skills aren't applicable to other industries. Exactly. A great leader is a great leader is a great leader.
4: Yeah. And a great project manager is a great project manager. Because exactly. of that. So you always have uh, some set sort of horizontal skills uh, which is applicable in any industry. Uh, and then you have specialized skill which is for each industry. So those are the skills probably you need to learn. Uh, some of the horizontal skills would also change, but there is a lot you have learned in your industry which you can apply in something else. So probably you will be more valued because you'll bring in a fresh new perspective.
1: So yeah, Bill, Bill especially ben- in consulting. Bill Bensing, what's the go-ahead plan here? Get your I'm, I'm do you gonna you- say controversial thing first. Uh-oh.
0: There's no such thing as a good project manager.
4: This is, Hus- <laughs> this, is, this is for Hussein Bandukwala so just yeah. don't,
0: just, just don't, <laughs> don't mistake that with project management is useless I highly think project management skills are a necessity I just don't believe in project managers
1: we won't, um, we won't tell Hussein uh, who we talked to last year <laughs>
0: But, um, I, you know, it's just funny you guys are talking about the skills and upskills that I'm going through here and I'm, and I'm looking, you know, as you talk talking about like some folks that are, you know, just, um, I had to be, I'll pull the young card, but like you look at some of this and less skilled people that are going to have a hard time moving into the areas So, I'm, I'm, yes, you want to upskill, I feel I'm there with you, upskill in the areas where the value is, um, but maybe this is the entrepreneur in me, just create new value um, for that client that you have. Like if that individual can speak and they can move and they can motivate, they have to be able to work with a team to create a value proposition that doesn't exist. Um, so, uh, you know, find the problems, find the opportunities. There's a ton of it going around right now. Like let's look at Zoom right now. Actually, I'm going to put this out there because this is something I may be working on the side. But like right now, if I want to share my screen or something like that, like think about using Zoom. Actually, it sucks. GoToMeeting sucks as well because it's not easy for us to like swap in and out. What if you had something simple that's on your side? Like I used to start using something called eCam where although Zoom will not use my virtual cam through eCam, but I could share my desk, my screen top and show you things without you having to share your screen with me um so like that's a that's a that's a value proposition how many meetings have you got in where you're like passing the ball to somebody and it's horrible um so i'll bring it back to yes you gotta yes you got to upskill figure out where the problem's at upskill to that problem but also um this is the opportunity for people who are you know maybe the next phase because i can tell you right now like for me i'm you know of course the the young one in the group but nobody's freaking retiring you're gonna have people kicking around for another 10 years um and that's something that you know as i look at it like we have to become Used to so you know expand that pie so I can freaking move up the darn ladder.
4: (laughs) No, no,
1: absolutely. Bill's 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 not even forty yet, are you, Bill?
0: Oh, I don't even want to tell you what my age is. Yeah, wait. He's
2: he's he's pro COVID. Really, this is going to thin the herd.
4: So I think I think you know this will this will spawn a new new uh, thread or new set of billionaires in the industry, and you could be one of them. You sitting and listening to us could be one of them. Really- I,
0: I hope they, got, I mean, they don't have to give me any money. They just can be like, listen, we saw this consulting saying things episode with these folks on it and it was amazing. And that's why I'm worth a billion dollars today. That's all we need.
1: There you go. All because of that one idea and because of COVID. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. I th- That's probably good right there. Um, that was a lot of different topics all in the same vein. Hopefully, um, I would like it to be sort of the last COVID focused thing that we do, but who knows what will happen, right? So anyway, thanks everybody. Thank you, Carol Hamilton, Phil Yanoff, Shashi Shrimali, Bill Bensing. I'm Chris Lockhart. Thanks. See you next time.
2: Peace.